Well, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Bruce Drugsma. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Wise Out of Free, and it's my pleasure to be up here uh, this morning with you. Uh, when, when I was in high school, um, there was a commercial that came out uh, during the Super Bowl that, that showed a lot of kids explaining what they wanted to be when they grew up. And, and I don't know if anybody remembers this commercial by Monster, um, but, but they would say things like, I want to claw my way up to middle management. I want to be overworked and underappreciated. I want to get paid less for doing more. And on and on the commercial goes, and it's pointing out you know, to, to all of us that as kids, we don't sit there and dream of mediocrity. We don't sit there and desire to be just one of the people, right? We have these big dreams, and one of the things that I think defines thinking young is that idea of wonder, that idea of unlimited possibilities, that idea that someday maybe I can be an astronaut or, or a cowgirl lifeguard mother. That's what Kaya wants to be, my daughter, <laughs> right? We have these dreams that we can be whatever we want to be, Right? And, and then we get older and, and reality sets in. And I would argue that as we talk about thinking young, that's not about being young. It's about not losing those abilities to wonder and awe and dream. And I think spiritually speaking, as we think young, what that really means is not losing grasp of the awesome, incredible God we serve who isn't limited like we think sometimes he is. Experience of life has taught us that maybe we can't accomplish as much as we thought we did. And so I think sometimes we erroneously make the mistake of assuming God can't either. And thinking young is, is, is about maintaining that. And so leading as we think young, I think involves maintaining some of that awe and wonder as well. And so we're going to look at a Bible story this morning about King Josiah. So I would encourage you to open your Bibles in Second Chronicles 34 is where we're going to pick up the story. Before we get there, I have to give you a little bit of historical background. So bear with me. Try not to imagine me as your high school history teacher and fall asleep. But Israel was this, this kingdom that we know about. They had their first king was Saul. He was okay, but he was, he was a worldly king. He was not a godly king. Along comes David. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And he was arguably the best king that Israel had. After him comes his son Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, who was one of the wisest men who ever lived. And then after Solomon, the kingdom divided into two. And you have the northern tribes, which are referred to as Israel. And you have the southern tribes, which are referred to as Judah, who maintain Jerusalem as their capital. And they maintain the David line of kings. All right, And that's going to play into our story. And, and basically, just one thing you can file away is sometimes we get lost when we start reading in Kings and Chronicles. Because we start losing track of who is king, who and where, and how that all flows. And partly because they keep using Israel and Judah, and we sometimes use them interchangeably. And they were really two distinct kingdoms at this time in history. And Israel, for reference, had exactly zero quality kings. They had none. The northern tribes had nothing but bad kings who disobeyed God, rejected God, and as a result, they're hauled away into captivity much earlier than the southern kingdoms. And that's going to play into our story as well. And so here you have Ahaz who is arguably the worst king that 
that Judah, the southern tribes, ever had. You have Ahaz as king when Israel gets sacked and conquered and hauled away into captivity. And, and Ahaz, we're going to talk about Josiah, is Josiah's great great grandfather. So from here on out, there's only one kingdom, it's Judah, but they have seen Israel reject God and get hauled away into captivity. And that becomes part of their cultural memory, right? So that's kind of where I want to start. And so we're going to pick up after Ahaz, this terrible king who watches the Northern kingdom get hauled away into captivity. After him comes this king by the name of Hezekiah. And here's what it says about Hezekiah in second Kings 18. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And they say Judah because they can't include David. That's what they're doing. They're basically saying all of that southern kingdom, he was the best. We can't include David because David is on a whole different level. But Hezekiah was the best. So you go from the worst to the best. And Hezekiah takes over. He becomes king at the age of 25. Now, I'm not 25 anymore, but I can tell you with confidence that when I went, when I was 25, I would not have been a great king. I would not have passed quality laws or decrees. I would have mandated that everybody own a motorcycle or something like that. Okay. But at 25, he's king and he trusts in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him. And so they literally go from the worst king to the best king. And there's an argument that could be made that, that part of the reason he did that is he saw as a kid what happened to Israel and he went, uh-uh-uh-uh, I don't want that to happen to me. I'm going to follow God. And so Hezekiah reigns for a while, okay? And after him comes this guy by the name of Manasseh. And they're going to go back to having a bad king. And Manasseh is again one of the bad kings and one of the worst kings. And, and here's what I read in a commentary about Manasseh, who, by the way, becomes king at the age of 12. All right, so any 12-year-olds out there this morning? Any of them? All right, a couple of 12-year-olds? Would you like to be king? Yeah, good. I won't ask you what laws you would pass. Um, they might be similar to the ones I would have passed at that age. Uh, here's what one commentary says about Manasseh. If Manasseh had searched the scriptures for practices that would most anger the Lord and then intentionally committed them, catch this, he could not have achieved that result any more effectively than he already did. I don't know if there's a more scathing rebuke anywhere. That if you tried your very hardest and did research to be bad, you wouldn't have been worse. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so he comes along. Here's Manasseh. He's terrible. There's, there's stuff that, that non-scriptural data supports things like he tried to kill all the prophets, that he tried to kill off the priests and the temple, Right? Manasseh's a bad, a bad deal. Now, later on, he will get some, re, some credit for repenting later in life. Some, uh, second king says that he repents. Chronicles doesn't say that he repents. So clearly it wasn't a big enough deal culturally or nationally to affect the authors of Chronicles. They don't seem to think it's that important. So he may have repented a little bit, but it, it, it just goes to show that it's oftentimes easier to lead people into sin than to lead people out of sin. And so Manasseh does all of this evil and later on in life may have repented, 
But, but culturally and nationally, it, it does jack squat. It doesn't do anything. All right? And now we get Amon. And this is kind of where our story starts. In Second Chronicles chapter 33, the last few verses, 21 through 25, Amon was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Amon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord. Amon increased his guilt. Amon's officials conspired against him and assassinated him in his palace. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Amon, and they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. And I share all of these because you'll notice that they're all kind of young when they take over, right? You have 12, you have 22, right? Then you have Amon taking over, and he doesn't last very long, and then he is killed. And then you have Josiah, So Josiah is coming to the throne with all of this cultural, national, and family baggage. And look at the first verse of chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Eight years old. Any eight-year-olds in the audience? (laughs) Right? Would you like to be king (laughs) or queen? Right? We, we, can, we can safely assume that if an eight-year-old took over after all of that chaos and baggage and history, they most likely are not going to make the best decisions possible. And, and we can safely assume that because that's what I would have done. Again, if I was an eight-year-old king and I had seen my father and my grandfather do all of this evil, I'm not sure I would have had the capacity to stand against that history and to start making different changes. But we will see that Josiah does. He stands against it. He makes some, some changes, which leads us to one of four lessons I want to share with you this morning from the life of Josiah. Lesson number one, Josiah puts his past behind him. And I have a clip here that I want you to see from the old Lion King movie. So, where are you from? Who cares? I can't go back. Ah, you're an outcast. That's great. So are we. What'd you do, kid? Something terrible, but I don't want to talk about it. Good. We don't want to hear about it. Come on, Timon. Anything we can do? Not unless you can change the past. You know, kid, in times like this, my buddy Timon here says you got to put your behind in your piss. No, no, uh, no. I mean... Amateur, lie down before you hurt yourself. It's you got to put your past behind you. Look, kid, bad things happen, and you can't do anything about it, right? Right. Wrong. When the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. Well, that's not what I was taught. Then maybe you need a new lesson. And he launches into the song, Hakuna Matata, right? And they launch into this song all about, it means no worries, it means ignore your past. That is not what I am saying here, even though that's what Timon and Pumbaa are saying to Simba. They're saying, don't worry about your past, ignore your past, it doesn't matter. No, no, Josiah learns from his past, 
but refuses to be defined by it. Josiah looks at his past, he knows all of his heritage and history, but he says, that's not going to define who I am, because look at verse 2, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside from doing what was right. Eight years old, and he goes, no, I'm not going to be defined by my past. I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to move on, and I'm instead going to choose to model my life after David. David, who is a model of repentance. David, who is a man who God describes as a man after God's own heart. That's who I'm going to choose to be defined by. And he steps into that, and he moves forward. Josiah learned from his past, from his past, but refused to be defined by it. And how, how does an eight-year-old as king do that? Well, if you look back at the text, we can assume safely that Josiah was not alone. So there's the assassination of his father, and then there's other people who assassinate the assassinators and put Josiah on the throne. Ultimately, there is some remnant of people in Israel who are passionate about them as a country pursuing God, and they're the ones that are surrounding Josiah. So he's not alone. He has other people coming around him, encouraging him and directing him, but he ultimately is still king. And ultimately, he can still make these decisions himself, but we know he's got this, some group of people. So my question as you move forward from your past is who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you bringing around you that's encouraging you? So Josiah has people encouraging him and pushing him, but he learns from his past and refuses to be defined by it, lesson number one. Lesson number two Josiah tore down what was holding him back from God. I'm going to continue reading in verse 3. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. All right, so pause there. He was eight when he became king. He was eight when he made some significant spiritual decisions to take ownership of his faith. That would put him at 16 and I promise that after 16, I'll stop people to raise their, raising their hands to ask how old they are. But any 16-year-olds out there, at 16, he took ownership of his faith. And he said, I am going to take control here. I'm not going to be told how to live out my life. I'm not going to, I'm going to take ownership of my spirituality at the age of 16. At 16, let's continue. Then in the 12th year, at 20 years of age, see how I do the math there? In the 12th year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. He saw to it that the altars for the images of Baal and their incense altars were torn down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Then he burned the poles of the pagan priests on their own altars, and so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. And let's be clear here, he doesn't just tear down the high places. He tears them down, he demolishes them, and he desecrates them. And that's graphic language in scripture, but it's really important. He is going on a rampage against sin. I think oftentimes we can go on a rampage in our own life when we're offended. We can go on a rampage when we feel somebody has stepped into our space. How often do we go on a rampage against the sin in our life? Josiah goes on a rampage. And he has to make worshiping the pagan deities uncomfortable. 
He makes it so much hard. When he burns the bones on the graves, what he's saying is you can't worship here anymore. You're going to have to find a new place and build a new place. Go ahead. That's what he's doing. He's making it untenable to continue to worship the pagan deities. He is tearing down anything that prevents him from pursuing God. He is tearing it down, demolishing it, and desecrating it. And if there's anything I've learned in my life is I have to do the same thing. If it's 11 o'clock at night and I have a choice between a celery stick and a plate of nachos, I am taking the nachos every time. (laughs) Unless I do something to make having nachos untenable. And by that, I mean not have cheese or nacho chips in the house. (laughs) Right? We have to do this. We have to make sin untenable in our life. If there is something preventing you from accessing God, you need to make it untenable. And it's not just sin issues. It can be pride. It can be relationships. It could be finances. It could be anger. It could be something you're watching on TV. It could be the music you're listening to. It could be something you're looking at online. We need to go on a rampage against the things holding us back from God and make those things untenable. That's what Josiah is doing. Proverbs 26.11 states this, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. And at some level, we're all fools. At some level, we all go back to that thing we know we shouldn't go back to. Time after time after time. Until we put barriers in our path to prevent us. And that's what Josiah is doing, is he's looking around not just at his life, but he's looking around at his faith community, and he's saying, I'm going to put barriers in our path to prevent us from following after these pagan deities again and again and again. And so I'm not just going to tear down, I'm going to demolish and desecrate and make it completely untenable. So number one, he learns from his past but isn't defined by it. Number two, he tears down what was holding him back from God. And number three, Josiah rebuilds what brings him closer to God. Along with that tearing down, we need to build up those things that bring us closer to God. I'm going to jump ahead to verse number eight. In the 18th year of his reign, after he had purified the land and the temple, Josiah appointed Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Maaseiah, the governor of Jerusalem, and Joah, son of Jehoahaz, the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They gave Hilkiah, the high priest, the money that had been collected by the Levites who served as gatekeepers at the temple of God. The gifts were brought by people from Manasseh, Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, as well as from all of Judah, Benjamin, and the people of Jerusalem. He entrusted the money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they paid the workers who did the repairs and renovation. Thus they hired carpenters and masons and purchased cut stone for the walls and timber for the rafters and beams. They restored what earlier kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. And a couple of things I want to highlight is, number one, this is not a light remodel we're talking about. This is a complete gut job. Anytime you're hiring a royal historian to remind you what it looked like, things are in disrepair. They're hiring masons and carpenters, not, not sheetrockers and spacklers. This is a complete tear down and rebuild. The, the temple has fallen into such disrepair. 
right? Oftentimes, anybody who's done a home restoration project, you know that some, oftentimes it's easier to start from scratch than to do a remodel. In our house, we refer to that as project creep, right? We had a water spot show up in our ceiling several years ago in our kitchen from an ice dam that we had. Well, that required us to do some work in the attic and get a new ceiling. Since we're getting a new ceiling, we decided to move some lights. Since we moved some lights, we thought we might as well update the entire room, and so we repainted the walls. Since we're doing the walls, we thought we might as well do the kitchen cabinets at the same time. We redid the kitchen cabinets, spilled some paint on the floor, and decided to do the flooring as well. And when I tore up the first layer of linoleum, guess what I found? Another layer of linoleum. Anybody had an experience like that in your home? You always find those things. You tear off the sheetrock and you find rotten boards. You lift up the flooring and you find water spots and damage. You find dry rot. What do you have to do? You have to dig deeper. You have to go in farther, rip those out, shore them up with new boards. The project grows. Josiah is rebuilding what brings him back to God and he's going to find damaged parts along the way and so are we. As we dig into our lives to build up that which glorifies God, we're going to find old wounds and family histories, mistakes we've made, things we've said, that we need to go back, dig them out, repair, and shore them up. Right? First, this is not a light remodel. This is a complete gut job. And another item to highlight is the last verse. They restored what earlier kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. King Ahaz and King Manasseh and and to some extent Amon had probably done some intentional damage to the temple. But this verse shows us that most of what they did was ignore it. And I think we all know from life experience as we get older that things that are important take constant maintenance. I can't finish a project on my house and walk away and never touch it again or it will fall into disrepair. It requires constant maintenance and constant vigilance. I remember when I was in, in, in middle school and I, and I started in youth group at my church and I looked at the high schoolers and I thought, boy, when I'm in high school, I will have my life figured out. <laughs> and then I got to high school and I saw the college kids and I went, when I'm in college, then I'll have my life figured out. And then I went to college and I went, no, it's not in college you figure your life out. It's when you enter the real world and become a real adult. And now I'm in the real world as a real adult and I've realized I'm never going to have my life figured out. It takes constant maintenance. You never arrive. And spiritually speaking, that's very true as well. We can't just rebuild those things that bring us closer to God. We need to maintain them. We need to put constant vigilance into our spirituality. We need to tear down the things that draw us away from God and build up and maintain the things that are drawing us closer to God. To think young requires constant vigilance. We cannot ignore the lessons of our past, nor can we ignore the mistakes we have made, nor can we ignore the areas that we need to build up. Lesson number four from King Josiah, the last lesson. Repent and repeat. And repent and repeat and repent and repeat and repent and repeat. Verses 14, and then I'm going to jump ahead to verse 19. As Hilkiah the high priest was recording the money collected at the Lord's temple, he found the book of the law of the Lord as as it had been given through Moses. And I'm going to pause right there again. 
Josiah at this point is led by the spirit and is led by believers around him and is led by what he knows from history, but not through God's word. He didn't have God's word. At this point, he's completely led outside of scripture to do these things. And, and, and here they are digging around so deep in the temple that they find God's word that had been hidden away, possibly during the reign of Manasseh or Ahaz as people were trying to kill off the priests. They shoved a scroll deep down in where nobody would find it. And all of a sudden it shows up at an opportune time. And just as a side note, for those of you that have ever memorized a scripture verse, have you ever had that verse pop up at an opportune moment because you've hidden it away in your heart somewhere? That's the image I get here. God brings it out at an appropriate time. Verse 19, when the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Asiah, the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Ask him about the words written in this scroll that has been found. The Lord's anger has been poured out against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing what this scroll says we must do. So Josiah repents, and he continues this cycle of tearing down that which is drawing him away, building up those things that are bringing him closer, and repenting for the things that he's committed again. Nowhere in here does God demand that we become perfect people. Like I said, we never arrive. This is that constant vigilance and maintenance that we constantly have to repent and repeat the cycle of going, I've now addressed maybe the anger in my life, but now I need to go over here and, and address another issue in my life or, or whatever. Or maybe my anger rears its ugly head and I have to realize that I have a deep family wound that needs to be dug out and shored up. We're constantly doing the cycle to maintain that awe, to maintain that wonder of who God is and what God can do with us. I'm going to ask George to come up here as I wrap up, and I want to share some practical steps to build these into your life. And as he comes up, I want to read 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says this. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone. A new life has begun and is not completed, I would add. A new life has begun. We need to keep this constant maintenance going. So I want to give you some quick tips to successfully tear down things in your life. Here are some quick tips. Turn off your phone. Filter your internet. Create margin. Learn to say no. All of this may require making some things untenable. Maybe you need to actually, you can't just say no to an event. You need to block your calendar and say family time is important. Maybe you need to to filter your internet, not at home and and at work, but everywhere. Maybe you need to turn off your phone because you're spending too much time on social media. Whatever it is, make it untenable. Some quick tips to successfully build up. And contrary to making those untenable, make these really easy. Get in God's word. There's apps that will alert you and remind you to read the Bible. Use those kind of features. Get involved in prayer. There's prayer at the YMCA. There's prayer here every month. There's prayer groups that meet at church. And then I would say, take your next step. And George is going to talk about some of those next steps they can take. 
All right. Yep, that's it. Yep, I got it, man. I was paying attention. Not to all the king's names. You might have to go through that again for me. I'm really excited this morning because I get to do something really cool. Um, like all proper introductions, this one comes at the end. So it is my pleasure to kind of officially introduce, it's gone out the word before, but um, this is Bruce Drugsmeyer, our new community and connecting pastor. So. I'm excited to be working with him. He, uh, Andrea Habeising, our uh, uh, worship pastor, and myself will be working around our values this next year of worship, community, and serve. And we have some great opportunities uh, coming up in these areas. We're going to have things like extended worship in the fall. We got these cards. Uh, this fall kickoff, you can see we got things that are happening in community. We got low barrier things that are serving that you can invite your neighbors to. And then we're going to follow it up with uh, some excellent uh, biblical content and resources for authentic community. And that's how Bruce and I are going to be working together. I think we uh, make a good team. We complement each other very well. You look decent this morning. Thanks. So stuff like that. <laughs> I like this guy a lot. We're going to tear some stuff up. It's going to be a really good year, so pay attention. We have a, we're going to work on communicating very well, so look at that card. And then we have things like this, specific opportunities. This is for marriage on one side, parenting, so excellent content. Look at that. And I just also want to take this opportunity, Irv and Nancy Tang, are you here? One of Nancy... Tell Irv, um, so you guys stepped into a gap uh, this last year at a lot of value. They're going to continue to volunteer in a lot of different areas, but Irv and Nancy Tang, thank you for taking community and small groups, and uh, that was great. One last thing. He's in a new ministry. Bruce, thank you for everything you've done so far, but just a little commission, just a little prayer is blessing on him. I'm going to ask you to stand as we do it, okay? Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing. We, play, we pray your anointing on Bruce, Merv, and his family as they move into this new role. We thank you that they're part of our church. We love them. Um, we pray for humility and boldness as he moves in um, to ministry in this new role, and uh, just blessings of... Uh, community, small group, and connecting. Amen.